Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Specifically the area of our marriages. We love you. Guide us, protect us, guard us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are talking about marriage for the next month or so. Um, and we're talking about it from the standpoint of a book of the Bible called Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Now, there's a whole, there's a whole narrative that unfolds with the Song of Songs, a whole narrative. But it begins with a little bit of history. King David was Israel's greatest king as far as just being an all-out warrior. Now, here's what I like about King David. I've shared this with you before. He wrote the majority of the Psalms, which is poetry and songs, and he's got this prayer life with God that resembles like a diary, you know? And so he says stuff like, why are these people chasing me? Why do they want to hurt me? Bash their children's heads on rocks. That's how David would talk to the Lord. Like, it's, it's unedited. It's, this is where I am. This is how I feel. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to pray, oftentimes I become the most polite version of myself ever to exist, right? How stupid is that? With the person who knows everything about us, that's when I start getting all reverent and like, because I'm not, you know? I'm not reverent. I'm rarely on point. And so, but when I start, dear Heavenly Father, you know what I mean? Not David. Not David. David comes at it with just like, you know what? Kill them and their kids. All of them. Do it. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I imagine if I would process my emotions and my feelings in prayer, as David does, I'd probably be a healthier person. But instead, I become this very, you know, congested, you know, uh, emotionally tied up person that's like, um, dear God, we ask that of all your blessings from your bountiful harvest, why are we, why do we do this? Not David. David was also a warrior. So check this out. He's like a, he's like a, uh, like a Navy SEAL um, who loves Shakespeare. Like, that's what he's like. He's like this special forces guy on one hand, and then the other side, he's got a notebook in his hand, enemy fire over the top of his head, and he's like, roses are red, violets are blue. Captain, are you going to do something? Just a minute, I'm trying to think of something that rhymes with blue. Like, this is him. Like, he is the poet. He's also a shepherd. Before he kills Goliath early in his life, before he becomes king, why Saul is king, he is tending sheep. He's great at tending sheep. He's that guy. He's just good at whatever he does. Picks up a pen and he does it. He picks up an instrument and he plays it. He goes out to battle and he picks up a sword. He uses it. But then he's got this conversation with God to where all his emotions and all his heart is completely poured out. Scripture says, that David had a heart after God's heart. He was identified. Can you imagine being identified like that? He was a man after God's own heart. Wow. Mine would be like something different. Like he's a man after God, but he'll never find him. Like that's kind of, that's it. He's trying his hardest, but his shoes are untied all the time. Like that's it. But not David, a man after God's own heart. 
David makes a huge mistake in his life with a woman named Bathsheba. And this relationship with Bathsheba later on produces a son, and the son's name is Solomon. Solomon grows to become the king of Israel. Now, from that point forward, his, his adultery with Bathsheba split the kingdom, and everything started falling apart. The name Solomon means shalom. It's a common Jewish greeting. It means peace. It's a prayer. It's something that you would do for somebody. So when you see somebody, it is specific to shalom. That means blessings of peace and prosperity on you. And his name is peace. Check this out. You know how my mind gets all jacked up. Check this out. David is a warrior and his son's name is peace. Will you ever fill your daddy's shoes? Peaceful. Will you ever? You cutie pie, you. Will you ever be big and strong and able to handle the whole kingdom all by yourself? I sure doubt it. Peaceful. Does Solomon live under that? Does Solomon grow up living underneath this thing? The first group of special forces to ever really exist that we see within Scripture, David's mighty men. And David spent time with these men who were just absolutely loyal, 100%. Here's a great story for you. We'll get to it another time, but I want to tell it to you because it's great. They are pinned down somewhere, and the men are talking. Like men do when they're away, when they're off to war, and they just sit around and they just talk about the things they miss the most. You know what I can't wait for? What? I cannot wait to mow my grass and have a cold one. That's what I cannot wait. When I get home, that's what I'm doing. They're going around the room. What about you? I cannot wait to snuggle into bed with my wife. That's what I care about. I can't wait to hug my kids. What about you, David? David says this. I wish, I cannot wait. When we get done here, I'm going to Bethlehem. And I'm getting the coldest, the coldest scoop of water from the Bethlehem well. When I was growing up and I was tending sheep, that's where I would go at the end of a hot day and I would get that drink and I would let it run down my face, all the way down my cloak, loved it. I, when we are done here, that's where I'm going. And it's just men talking. There were no orders given. David's mighty men sneak away. They go to Bethlehem, which had become a Philistine outpost. The people they were fighting. And David's mighty men, just a few, fight through this Philistine outpost. One guards, uh, one of them is getting the water while the other ones are guarding the well. And they scoop up a glass of water and they haul it back to their king. And they get there and they hand it over to him. And he says, what is this? They said, this is, of course, they're just beat to pieces, sweating to death. What is this? This is water from the Bethlehem well. We're loyal to you. David says, I can't drink this. You risked your lives for me. I cannot drink this. And he poured it out as an offering to them. Imagine if you're Solomon. Peace sitting at the dinner table with these enormous, valiant, I mean, just gnarly warriors everywhere. They're common inside the chambers. 
and your peace. The little doddler at the end of the table. Does Solomon grow up in the shadow of all these mighty men, always trying to stretch his little bitty toes to the end of those great big boots? David at one point says, I live in this enormous palace. Lord, I'm going to build you a palace like mine. And God stops him. Whoa, 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 whoa there. You know, Bob the Builder. Well, what's the deal? You're going to build me? You're going to build the temple? You are? I mean, about everything I do, I do good. I mean, really? You want me to build you the temple? He says, you're a man of war. You got blood on your hands. You're going to go build the temple? You got blood stains under your nails, just encrusted with the blood of your enemies, and you are going to take your defiled, unclean self and go build? No, you're not. You're not. I will give you a son who will, but you're not doing it. And that son was Solomon. Oh, he's not a warrior, but he could sure put a good steeple on. Does he live under that? I only bring all this up because I think there's something kind of strange that happens in the beginning of Song of Solomon that makes me wonder this. Let's read it. Song of Songs, chapter 1. There's a woman and she is speaking and she says this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Then some friends come along and they say, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. And then she speaks again, how right they are to adore you. Verse 5, dark am I yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tent curtains of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Verse 6, do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and they made me take care of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? This woman is speaking to Solomon as if he were a shepherd. Why would he be dressed as a shepherd? Because we all dress up in daddy's clothes. Because we all want to grow up and be like him. And we clomp around the, we clomp around the house inside his big boots. And we put on his big suit coat. And it comes about this far, well for me still, comes about this, this much too long. Just flapping around because we want to be like him. Is Solomon incognito? Dressed as a shepherd, trying to get away from the palace? I just want to go be here. And he lays his eyes on a woman, and she turns around, and she lays him out. She lines him out, top to bottom, and she looks him in the face, and she goes, what are you gawking at? What are you gawking at? Solomon, this is just me, a little creative license, just grant me just a little bit. He's got his mouth open, staring at this woman. Oh my goodness. She spins around from picking grapes in the vineyard and she says, what are you looking at? And he's speechless. Uh, um, 
She says, don't look at me. And here's this great literary device she uses, this just turn of phrase. Don't look at me because the sun has already looked at me. What she means is, I'm a poor girl. I don't have a servant. My skin is dark because I have to do the work that a servant would normally do. In this day and age, in the first century, I mean, in, in, this, in this time period, for you to be the Orient, in the Orient, you see these pale, pale figures. That was a sign of prosperity that you didn't do the work yourself. You must have been somebody. What she is saying is, do not stare at me because the sun has already stared at me. My brothers were angry with me, she says, and they made me pick all the grapes from the vineyard. I've had to take care of this vineyard, but my, check, it, check this out, my own vineyard I have had to neglect. Do you think that I want to look this way? Do you think I want to be, you think I want these crow's feet around the sides of my eyes? I would love to be like all the other ladies that are dancing around the palace all the time, but I'm not. I'm a workhorse. I have to do this. For some odd reason, there's not a father in the picture. The brothers are, and they are working her in the garden. She says, don't look at me because I am dark. Like the tent curtains of Kadar. Here's the, here's the beauty of it. In the deserts, this Bedou these Bedouin tribes would travel through and they had these sheep or these goats and they were black-haired goats. So they would take these hides and they would put their tents together and so all day long these tents would absorb the heat because of the black fur on them. It would absorb this heat and then it would take the, it would take the entire night for it to finally cool down. But as the desert gets colder, everybody was safe and warm inside. And she says, that's me. I am a dark tent in the middle of a desert. What are you staring at? Stop staring at me. I have neglected my own vineyard. Check this out. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me take care of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have neglected. Verse 7, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like the veiled women beside the flocks of your friends? Yes. Your question, does that mean what I think it means? Yes. Why should I be like all the other women with the veils on, hanging out with all your buddies over there? Yes. It's exactly what it means. If you're still behind, then I'll explain to you what, what it means. Prostitutes. Shepherd lives a solitary life. These women could go out there and they could accrue all of the money from these shepherds because they go out and they keep the shepherd's company in the fields. And she says, why in the world would I want to be like all the other bar tramps? Why? I don't. Remember, she's talking to the king. But I don't know that she knows that. What are you gawking at? <laughs> you know? What are you gawking at? What do you think I am? One of them? Forget that noise. Hop off your pony and see what happens next, pal. You know? <laughs> you can see this, like, this, this side of her that is just cutthroat. Don't get it twisted. I'm not like them. Ladies, there's probably a little point of application here. Young ladies, don't be them. Okay? It's not hard. Don't be them. If you've got a little hole in your heart, because daddy wasn't there, 
because some bad things happened when you were younger. Listen, you need to find some older women and you need to talk to them about that deal. You do not need a man to come along and fill that hole. Understand? You do not need that. Because listen, that is an endless, endless road. You will run down it your entire life. You with me, young girls? Okay. Now, Solomon kind of, Solomon kind of throws this one kind of out of nowhere. Guys, I wouldn't suggest using this one at home, but I liken you, my darling, to a mare. <laughs> well, long face, sugar. You know, that's not. I liken you, my darling, to a mare. Okay. Harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. This is a huge statement, okay? Huge statement. <laughs> I love it. You remind me of a horse I knew once. Like, is it? <laughs> It's not that. It's not that. Do you remember when Moses came along and he pulled the Israelites out of Egypt? And they went into the desert and Pharaoh lost his mind for a minute and was just like, I'm not letting those people go. I'm going to go get them. And Pharaoh took out after them. So Moses and all the Israelites are up against the Red Sea and they hear this thundering, uh, this thundering uh, uh, noise of, of an entire army coming over a hill towards them. Okay, you with me? We've got the Red Sea here. We've got Pharaoh's army coming up on us. And then they turn and they look at Moses and they were like, were there no graves in Egypt? Couldn't we have just died there other than walk all the way out here to die? And Moses is trying his best to hold it together like, God will provide. Won't you provide? God will provide. <laughs> Here's what they would have seen. This white mare leading this dust storm of chariots behind it. A beautiful, white, gentle-looking mare racing down the hill. Oh, what a pretty horse. We're all going to die. This is what they would have seen. Racing down this mountain towards them, coming to get you. There is something that happens in love and in marriage that you cannot lose this balance. People get comfortable. We get comfortable when we get married and we lose one side or the other. Here's what happens. Men either become ultra passive and submissive and they just try to stay out of the way. Oh, sure, honey. Whatever, whatever, babe. I hope so. Yeah, it'd be great. You'd spend a bajillion dollars. I don't mind. It's fine. I'll just get more jobs. Like this is, they either become this. You with me? You've seen this. Like they become this side and they go all the way over Okay, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, no, it's good, it's good, it's good. Or they go to the other side. No, that's it, no, stop, no, that's it, no. I'll, I'll say what's happening here. See, both are wrong. Both are wrong. Because that's not a relationship, that's ownership. And when you begin to take that and put it beside marriage, you screwed it up. The two do not work. But there is something else that happens. When two people exist beside each other and they love each other and they care about each other, there is an equal balance of both, you're with me, men, fear and love. You can cross that line and set her off and she has permission to lose her crazy town, right? Like you got that. Same thing with the dude. Crazy town. But when we live in this balance, there is both this gentle Oh, look, it's so pretty, and I think she's going to kill me. Like, there it exists. 
And within a normal, God-given relationship, that has to be there. There cannot be this ultra-passive one side, ultra-submissive the other side. Somebody is the owner and somebody is the slave. That does not work. That is not marriage. That is not Jesus' relationship with you, and this is a picture of Christ in the church. Is that how Jesus operates with us? No, he laid down his life on a cross for us. That's the model of marriage, not ownership. There's another thing that's happening here too. Before the Egyptians would race off into war, they would go get Pharaoh's mare, this beautiful white mare. And then they would have all these stallions attached to all these chariots. And then, love it, love it, love it. They would take the beautiful mare and they would prance her in front of all of these stallions before war. Yes. And the pheromones are going crazy with me. And these big stallion horses over here are getting amped up and jacked up in their head. And we're going off to war. And then she leads the way. Who's going with her? All of us. <laughs> Who do we have to kill? Anyone. <laughs> and Solomon says, you mess me up a little bit like that. You mess me up like that a little bit. You do that same kind of deal to me. You, I'm, oh, I'm flustered. Flustered is a good word. Listen, this is taboo to talk about in church. That has to exist in marriage. Oh, oh, I don't mean that. That does too. What I mean is men sharing their emotions. You with me? Some of you are like, no, I'm out. I'm out. I go without. Mm, no. He says, I'm a little bit fearful. And I like you a lot too. Like I want to be with you and you terrify me at the same time. Men, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? We can't control them. We can't control them. Your design as being a husband was not to control them. Well, maybe if I tighten up the reins a little bit. No. You cannot control them. Anything you begin to try to control eventually begins to resent you. It doesn't work. You cannot control them. You know what you can do? You can love them. You can love them. You can pray for them. You can encourage them. You can stop seeing them as a vending machine. Tori, just go punch in the code and get whatever you want. You can love them. You can also talk to them. You can say things like, um, you scare me, uh, I'll be honest, a little. At night when I'm sleeping, I think about it. Yeah. And uh, turn me on and scare me at the same time. And that's a healthy relationship. I mean, so long as no one's getting shanked. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's healthy. And Solomon says, I'm out of my element here. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. That doesn't mean cheeks, earrings, just beads. Your neck with string of jewels. We will make earrings of gold studded with silver. And he begins this whole process of, I want to bask you with gifts. That's the thing we do. She speaks. 
While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sack of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. Verse 14, my lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. That's cute and all, but if you don't know Engedi and you don't know what henna blossoms do, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Can you tell me about the soil of the Middle East? Anyone? Sandy, thank you, very good. And so if you were to plant a garden, which you can plant a garden there, and you have crops and vineyards and all, if you could do that in sandy soil, what do you think would happen when the, the rainy season comes through and it begins to wash and carve these channels in the desert? What do you think would happen to your fields, to your garden, to your crops? They wash away. So here's what they would do. They would go and they would get henna, and they would, because it's got this incredible root system, and they would plant it around their gardens. Why? So that when it rains, it won't move the dirt and we can keep everything here. My lover is to me, henna, holding my whole world and everything I produce together. Something else that's interesting, just one more layer. In Getty, was off the west bank of the Dead Sea. And so in the middle of a desert where there's water that is useless and there's no soil that's worth a single thing, in Getty was just this little paradise in the middle of the desert. My lover is that. Do you know what marriage is supposed to be? It's supposed to be the shoulder of your spouse is to be a hammock and a coconut drink and the sound of the ocean when you close your eyes. That's what it's supposed to be, to bring you rest and relief. It's not to bring you anxiety, tension, fights, and anger. It's in Getty. It's an oasis in the middle of the desert. Listen, we go to work every single day. We get our teeth kicked in by the people we come in, by, by, the, te- by the people we encounter. We watch the news and we get more bad news. We try to raise children and we find out we're bad at it. And then at the end of the night, we go to bed and we fight with the one person who we should probably be trying our very hardest to just connect with because they are our oasis. That's our oasis. Men, that's our oasis. That's why we treat it good. That's why we love it. That's why we don't spray weed killer on everything and try to contain it. We love it. We need it. One more minute. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. That's him speaking. She replies, Oh, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant or green. They're obviously outdoors. Another layer is the relationship is growing. We're laying outside having a picnic. We're under like the canopy of a tree. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, and the relationship is green and growing, okay? Oh, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. She replies, or he replies, the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. Typical man, right there, watch. I want you to know I really like you. Well, I want you to know that I really like you. Well, I want you to know I built this with tuba 12s. Excuse me? Cedar. 
cedar all the way across. What the crap are you talking about? You see how he did this? But here's what we know about the Hebrew language. It means something, but then it means something. Oh, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are doves. Oh, how charming. Our bed is verdant. Oh. See all this right here? These firs, these, these cedars right here? From Lebanon. Cut them down with a sawzall. I mean chainsaw. I mean a handsaw. I mean a karate chop. What is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. I did this for me. Can you imagine what I would do for you? See all this? I did it because I was bored. Do you know what I would do for you? <laughs> Name it. Name it. Men, do you want to win? Like, let me just admit, like, ladies, like, don't listen. Men, listen. Let's just be, let's just be, just be honest. Just guys, not in church, just guys. Do you want to, do you want to win? Like, do you want her to like you and say nice things about you and brag at the salon? <laughs> You're all just like, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I do, I do. Yes, you do. Okay, look. Then talk to her. Like this, not the horse face thing, the other thing, the, you know, like the, what do you want? Name it, watch me make it, or buy it if you have construction skills like mine. Name it. Do it. I built this for you. I mean, I did this for me, but you know what I would do for you? Watch her. She's sharp. She turns around, he says, See the cedars and the firs? And she says, I'm a rose. They need medicine, you know? I'm a rose. I'm a lily. It's called the sand daffodil. Okay. Do you know what grows in the, in the desert sand? Uh, nothing. Like you got to plant it. You got to tend it. You take care of it. Just naturally, do you know what kind of flowers, beautiful flowers, just grow in the desert under the hot sun all the time? The Rose of Sharon. That's it. She says, I'm a rose. He says, I did this because I was bored. What would I do for you and I love you? Look, I'm, I'm a self-sufficient man. I'll take care of you. And she replies, I can endure the heat pretty good too. Don't think I'm just a pretty face. I'm the real deal. I'm the lily of the valley. Do you know what doesn't freeze up in the valley floor in the middle of the desert? You know what doesn't freeze up? Just, just, I'll give you one guess. You know what doesn't freeze on the valley floor in the desert? The lily of the valley. I don't care how hot it is or what happens. I don't need all this palace stuff like I am who I am. I'm strong on both sides. You want to burn me down? I, I can handle it. You want to freeze me out? I can handle it. And he finishes her sentence. You are a rose among thorns. Let me ask you something. Men, this is our application. When we met her in verse 5, she said, I am dark. Don't look at me. We get all the way over here and she says, I am a rose 
I'm a lily. What happened? Sometimes when people come into your life and they begin to speak positive things to you, it changes the way you see you. People step into your life and they say, I'm so proud of you. Good work. You're a great mom. You're a good business guy. You're a great dad. And it changes how we feel. People send us messages and they say, I just want you to know that you inspire me with your life. And then all of a sudden, you gain strength from those words. Do you know the kind of people that when they walk into the business place and you're standing there and you cannot wait for them to get there because when they get there, you feel better about you? Let me tell you what's happened. She went from, I am ugly, stop your gawking, to I am beautiful. And the only thing that changed was her husband's words. Men, listen. Our words are mirrors. How do you want her to see yourself? Fat and bossy? Keep it up. That's on us. Like, we have the power to change that. Do you know how? Tell them a different story. Speak to them a different story. Babe, I know you feel crazy, but I don't think you're crazy. I think you're perfect. I think you're wild. You know, I think sometimes I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, if things are good, but, like, you, I can't contain you. You are perfect. You are wild. I do not think you're insane. I love that kind of craziness if craziness is a safe word to use. I love it. <laughs> Babe, do I think you're fat? No. That's a dumb question. Ask me a different question. Do I think you're beautiful? The hottest. Men, we control that with our words. We begin to speak positive words to our spouses, and that happens. Young ladies, listen close. Young ladies, okay? Listen close. There's a difference between a punk with a pickup line and a man that can back what he says. You with me? There are punks with pickup lines. Don't bite on that, all right? It's a rubber worm in a really dirty creek. With me? That's a punk with a pickup line. Talking about that. Talking about a man with a mission. He wants to win. He wants to change your heart. He wants to be in that place with you because he cannot move on without you. Listen, husbands, our job is to change the way they see themselves. If they see themselves that way, we repair that. Do you mean to tell me Christ did not do the same thing for us? When he went overboard to suggest, not only are you forgiven, but his words were this, you are a royal priesthood. How many of you feel like a royal priesthood? Just go ahead and raise your hands. None of us? Exactly. Exactly. I don't feel like a royal priesthood. I don't feel like a holy nation. I don't feel forgiven of my sins. I don't feel like I'm somebody who's changing the world. I don't feel qualified to preach the gospel. But he keeps telling me I am. You don't feel like you can pull it off. But he keeps saying you can. You don't feel like you're good at being a parent, but he keeps saying you're doing it. 
Jesus Christ did for us as an example of what we're to do for others. He loves us. He cares for us. He encourages us, not only with his actions, but also with his words. He meets us in that place. That's the responsibility of husbands. We're going to close here, and we're going to pick up next week. There'll be a little bit of overlap, some other stuff. This stuff is super intense. Listen, you want a nice date night uh, with, uh, with, an, with an exciting, exciting evening? Uh, you and your spouse cuddle up. Read through the Song of Solomon. See what, see what happens. Uh, see, what you think, see what you think. You'll be like, I, I'm not reading that out loud. I can't say that out loud. I don't know what strengthen me with raisins means. I don't know. Weird it out. So let's pray. We'll get out of here. Uh, appreciate you. Love you. Uh, we're praying for marriages, uh, all of our marriages. Heavenly Father, we uh, ask that you'll strengthen us. Lord, we don't want to be a church of just people who um, just want to wear a Christian T-shirt and not, not live anything on the outside um, in the real world. Lord, we know that marriage is difficult. We know that the world around us is collapsing all the time. And, and um, Lord, we need a better mission. We need to be able to show, show the light of Christ in another way. Lord, the, one of the ways we can do that is our marriage. Lord, we ask that you'll strengthen our marriages so the people will see Jesus in us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your time. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, we ask that you will continue to convince us that we are a royal priesthood, that we are a holy people, that we can do these things that you ask us to do, that we are qualified and that we are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good